Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. Always excited to be with you, happy to be with you, to present issues, to be able to present guests that have a great, frequently just a great perspective. They're articulate. And I tell you, our guest today is certainly in that category, uh, Manny Klausner, Esquire is an attorney here in, in Southern California, Los Angeles. He is a mainstay. Let's call him a, the, what he is, a mainstay, a titan, a pillar of the libertarian community. Uh, he opened his law firm in downtown Los Angeles in 1996, but before that, he was with Kendall and Anderson, which was a Jim Kendall was one of my father's greatest friends. Actually, they would have started a firm together, except that Kendall wanted to be in Orange County and my father in Los Angeles County, but we got to know them very well. Uh, Manny has been engaged in really complex and significant litigation. Whenever I think of constitutional law, I think of Manny Klausner. Election law, same thing media, business litigation, and, and I wasn't aware of this until I started uh, researching this and, and preparing my, my introduction, but, but Manny was the general counsel for the Individual Rights Foundation, which is the legal arm of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Uh, I can tell you that if I were to give justice to the introduction to Manny Klausner, I'd pretty much take up the whole hour and I wouldn't leave him any time to talk, but uh, he is a graduate of UCLA, a Go Bruins, uh, the New York University NYU School of Law. He's received numbers of awards. And one thing, Manny, that caught my eye, too, you studied at the University of Copenhagen. I bet that must have been pretty interesting. A, a Fulbright, Ford Foundation, Danish government grants. Uh, so you sure fooled some people, but that would have been really an interesting thing to do. And is active with the Federalist Society. I'm going to ask him uh, what the Federalist Society is and does, but he served as the chairman for uh, the society's national practice group on free speech and election law for 10 years. So this guy has gotten around. But even, well, you can't say even more importantly, but he was a founding director of the Institute for Justice. Uh, they got a lot of my money, Manny. They're an outstanding organization. And you've helped to was served an editor and publisher of Reason Magazine, which is one of the magazines I get, and co-founded Reason Foundation. So this guy gets around. Uh, but uh, it's also noteworthy that he is, says he's been happily married to Willette for 51 years. You must have gotten married when you were 10 years old, but uh, one day or the other. Uh, she is a successful Broadway producer and has co-produced such hits as Hadestown, which is a winner of something like eight Tony Awards in 2019, including Best Musical, and Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptation. So without keeping going, Manny, let's leave some time for you as well. But, but welcome. I know I've just given a thumbnail of your background, but fill in a couple other blanks for us, please, and welcome to All Rise. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it, Jim. I've known you and I knew your father for very many decades, and uh, both uh, really special people in my experience and in my lifetime. So 
Uh, it's great to make this new additional contact uh, this way here via a podcast. I like it. <laughs> well, I can tell you my father was one of my true heroes, and so was Jim Kendall. And the fact is, I understand it, that Jim Kendall was a mainstay in the founding of the Constitutional Rights Foundation, uh, which was a, an enormously important thing. Uh, I've been honored by the CRF down here in Orange County, which I hold in, in great treasure. But, but okay, let's, let's talk about something even more important, because like I said in the introduction, you've been married for 51 years to Willette. Uh, she must have a real sense of humor, but, but brag about your, your wife a little bit, because uh, she is multifaceted as well and very successful. Tell us about her. Well, well, well that is amazing. Uh, it happens that we originally met at UCLA, but we didn't know each other except to casually say hi when we passed each other. But uh, well, that came when I was in law school in, at NYU. I started in 1959, uh, and I was on a uh, special scholarship program there uh, that uh, brought me to a program modeled on the Rhodes Scholarship, which meant the students, they were all men at the time, women are not allowed. This isn't that long ago, but it seems like an ancient time. Uh, women weren't, weren't allowed at that time because it was modeled after the Rhodes Scholarships. So only men could get the award, and you couldn't get married while you were in law school, or you lost your scholarship. So wow. that was the short of it. But as far as my meeting with that, I had no plans to get married at that time. I was uh, happily involved in in, uh, in law school, did well in law school, uh, had great intellectual uh, openings in in terms of people that I met and was exposed to, uh, mainly through NYU Law School and also their School of Economics, their School of Graduate School of Business, uh, and also uh, through the Root Tilden program, which was which was wonderful. Well, that happened to come to New York, uh, and I knew about that because I learned it from the New York Times, and it's a literal literally a true statement to say that uh, if it weren't for the New York Times, I would not have, I would not be married to Ouellette because yeah. I knew that she had come to New York when there was an article in the New York Times that mentioned uh, that Ouellette uh, had been in, she had just, she was arriving in New York and she was going to study at the Toby Coburn School for Fashion Careers. She'd gotten a scholarship there, and it was newsworthy because she had been the, uh, in New York Times reported, uh, the first black model in a national fashion magazine. Mm. I called Willette, I got the phone number of the school, and I had a, a custom, I was just, when I learned of people that I had known even casually from NYU, from, from UCLA, uh, I used to call and welcome them to New York City, and I did that with uh, well, that didn't happen to be her first day of classes at the Toby Coburn School, and at that point, this was nothing to do with anything, uh, uh, no ulterior motive. I just called to be a good uh, alum, uh, alumni member of UCLA and New York, making somebody else feel welcome. But one thing led to another, and it started because of the Ruth Hilton program. Uh, we had a, a, a forum that was prepared by the first-year Root Tilden Scholars, named after Elihu Root and Samuel Tilden, both of whom went to NYU Law School. But the first-year Root Tildens, which I was uh, then, uh, did a program on Friday nights in the beautiful Vanderbilt Lounge at the uh, Law School in Washington Square Park in New York, 
uh, we did a program on a subject unrelated to the law. And my particular subject that I did with three other Rutildans, first-year Rutildans, was the beat and the lost generation in literature. And they were wonderful events, but most of the students were from, the uh, students were selected, the Rutildans, from all over the country. And yeah. they didn't know, um, they, they, they were, uh, by definition, by their, uh, the rules, they were single men, very eligible, I'd say, but they didn't know very many women. And so, well, that was going to an all-women school, primarily a women's school, Toby Coburn School. And so we used to fix each other up before we started going out with our, with, with each uh-huh. other. And, uh, one, one thing led to another, and, uh, eventually we started going out ourselves. Well, I and so. uh, <laughs> some 10 years later or so, we got married in 1969. Well, yeah. Are you considering making it a career? Are you going to? She's going to. Uh, you know, it's worked out so well. I don't know. 51 years? Yeah. I guess that's right. Well, you know, I, I'd like to talk to you off the record here because you may know, Manny, that I've written a musical called Convention, The Birth of America, and uh, we have the CD out, but I've not gotten any interest in producers. Maybe uh, she'll know some some ways I can uh, get some exposure to this once people start producing musicals again. But but uh, let me. Let, let I'll be me. I'll be happy I'll be happy to uh, get you in touch with Lynn on that issue. Thank you. That that would that would be marvelous. I'll see if her story is the same as yours on how you met. By the way, because I, I I know you're still sticking with that story after all these years. But uh, maybe it, it would. You you saw a good thing and you probably pursued it, but one way or the other, you you pursued something else that that uh, you describe yourself as a libertarian lawyer. Um, what does that mean? Talk to us a little bit about your career as a libertarian lawyer here in Los Angeles. I'll be happy to do that. When when I was interviewing, I I became a libertarian at NYU Law School, and I was fortunate because uh, my sponsor. On the Rutilden program, as the, each uh, first-year student had a sponsor, normally who had graduated from their undergraduate school uh, and had been a graduate of NYU Law School, they couldn't find anybody from UCLA Law School then practicing in New York City to be my sponsor. So they assigned my, me to be sponsored by Bud Bowman, Pasco Bowman, who's a, a, a brilliant judge uh, now, but he. I uh, was working then at Cravath, Swain, and Moore, one of the large Wall Street firms. And I was there um, more of a, a, a big government liberal that, uh, than anything politically, not that active in politics at, at all, but uh, really uh, not that uh, knowledgeable about free market economics and about uh, the, the uh, workings of, of the free market. Uh, but introduced me to... This world, and particularly through uh, a law professor at NYU named Sylvester Petro. Petro was sort of the old curmudgeon at NYU. Uh, not everybody liked him. He wasn't the most popular professor. But he had written a book uh, called The Labor Policy of a Free Society, which I read, uh, because thanks to Bud Bowman. And it basically gives a free market interpretation of American labor law and how the free market works. And it was really a taste uh, based on economic theories, uh, free market theories, particularly of an Austrian economist named Ludwig von Mises. And so uh, I don't want to get too uh, much in the woods here, but uh, there was an occasion where Bud invited me one day to a debate that was scheduled between Sylvester Petro and John Kenneth Galbraith. Uh, this is 1959. Whoa. 
And I went to the debate. I was rooting uh, for Galbraith, if anybody. Uh, Bud was the big admirer of Petro. And I went to the debate, and I was, uh, I had my eyes open because, uh, although Galbraith was a, a tall, imposing, humorous speaker and very effective, um, substantively, I thought Petro asked questions that Galbraith wasn't able to answer, and it really was a turning point in my life. I'm so mm. grateful to Bud Bowman and for the occasion, because I went, took the time to go there. But that opened my eyes, and that set me on a new path. I wanted to learn more sure. about this use. So uh, I mentioned, so that, uh, that, that introduced me to the world of the free market. Uh, Petro didn't call himself a libertarian. He was really, I would say, a free market conservative. And he was uh, kind of a dour guy. He used to, he used to say, I can't read the New York Times uh, in the post in the morning because it ruined my whole day. And he meant it. He, 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 <laughs> and he, he called me the deal. As we got to know each other, uh, he took a year off. I took a course from him. Uh, he took a sabbatical in Italy. He asked me, would I take over his course and, and teach on a non-credit mm. basis? He, there's nobody, he didn't want to discontinue it, which I was happy to do. We had a, a group that I did. And I asked Sylvester, I asked Petro, could he get, suggest some speakers that might be good to come in and ask to uh, make a presentation during the seminar when I was, when he was in Italy? And he gave me a list of some people. One of them was Murray Rothbard. And this is another turning point for me. Murray Rothbard is the leading free market economist. He's a leading anarcho-capitalist. I reviewed, he had a two-volume book that came out when I was in New York, Man, Economy, and State, wrote numerous articles and books, and uh, he was a bubbly personality, very fun. Uh, My wife uh, got to know Murray and his wife, wife, Murray Rothbard's wife, and she ended up she gets my well, that gets credited in the introduction to a couple of Murray's history of uh, volumes of his history of the United States because she transcribed them. We both were in Denmark together, and then she came back uh. ahead of me and for a job. She didn't have anything else uh-huh. going at the time, so she became a paid transcriber to to uh, for Murray Rothbard. Uh. So that's sort Jeez. of a. The story of how I became a libertarian and then becoming a libertarian lawyer was I've always felt if I've felt strongly about things, I don't want to be in the closet of my views. I want to be able to practice. Uh, I've always been, some people would say I'm, I'm like a rabbi, but I like to uh, let people know and inform them about ideas that I think are important for our lives and our society. So I've taken libertarianism seriously. I was head of this libertarian faction at NYU that involved the people on the in the Petro uh, seminar. I took, uh, I got permission from the law school to take a course uh, for credit on my Master of Law program. I was on a foreign law program, which is a two-year program, and the second year was in Denmark. But the first year, I, I was I got a master of law degree from uh, NYU Law School, but I asked the law school before it was popular to have uh, joint degree programs in uh, in uh, law and economics at business schools and law schools. Uh, I I asked for permission to take a, a course that was offered in economics at the Graduate School of Business at NYU before the Stern School came to Greenwich Village, the Graduate School of Business was uh, on Wall Street uh, downtown in New York. And the uh, one of the deans gave me permission to 
to do that. So I used to go downtown for the Monday night lecture lecture that uh, Mises gave at the law school, at the business school. And I also occasionally went to, he had a famous seminar with some uh, leading intellectuals and uh, and journalists who used to attend. Uh, And I used to go occasionally to his seminar. So the... uh, I, I had the privilege well, yeah. uh, of getting. You heard to it know from the top, Jesus. didn't you? You really did hear it from the top. But let, Lanny, let me, let me. I, I have on this show, all rise, have asked numbers of people: Nick Sarwark, Joe Jorgensen, Tom Campbell, numbers of people, what they define as libertarian. What What is different? between the Libertarian Party on the one hand, because I say that Libertarians are the only mainstream party in American politics today, uh, but what, what, what makes a Libertarian uh, from your definition? A Libertarian takes liberty seriously, and it's the most important. Liberty is the most important political value. So that means basically leaving people alone in terms of government activity and government regulation. Libertarian, it's really a live and let live philosophy, and each person should be free to do whatever he wants in terms of his personal choice, as long as he doesn't infringe the rights of others. And the key to to legitimacy for libertarians is consent. If you want something from somebody else, you have to make a bargain. You can trade with them. You can uh, have a, a sale transaction, but you can't steal it. You can't take it. You can't tax it. And that is the essence of free market libertarianism. Uh, the Libertarian Party, which I've been involved in since the very beginning, I was one of the the, uh, the uh, early people in the movement and uh, quite active in it for a while. Uh, Libertarian Party it represents a an aspect of libertarians in America, because there are many libertarians who are not active in the Libertarian Party, but they vote libertarian, or, you know, occasionally at least, and they understand the philosophy. Reason Magazine, for example, which I'm a, a, uh, was a, uh, a uh, early uh, editor of, and they were through me, Tebow McCann, about Poole, took over Reason from a student at Boston College, at Boston University in uh, 1969, 1970, mm. and we brought it to Los Angeles, to Santa Barbara originally, and we've been publishing now uh, since, uh, so the magazine is the oldest consecutive uh, uh, libertarian magazine uh, that's still publishing in in the world. And uh, we have um, millions of people that read our uh, website, uh, reason.com, and we have a monthly print magazine that comes out, which is available online as well. And uh, Reason has its own approach. Our slogan of Reason, which I like very much, is Free Minds in free markets. And that's yes. another aspect. We have a very descriptive, a good apt description of libertarianism. Free minds and free markets. Yes, indeed. Well, I interviewed David Knott on our show. Of course, he's now the president of Reason Foundation on July 5th of, of last year, 2019. And I get Reason Magazine, of course, and it really is just, just one of the premier magazines around. You, I also said that I helped uh, with two partners write Convention, the Birth of America. So, Manny, I got into a lot of the history of the founders and their fights and the rest, and, and I learned that all 55 delegates, of course, to the Constitutional Convention, they bickered, they fought, they debated, they did a lot of things. The thing each one felt was the most important function of government was protecting our liberties from the encroachment of government. And number two thing important was keeping us 
keeping us secure and keeping us safe. We've lost that, have we not? It's totally, totally transformed. Uh, in fact, there's no doubt we lost it. It's sad. It's difficult to to uh, march back into that kind of a view. But uh, it takes education. It takes knowledge. It takes um, the intellectual force, uh, and it takes an interest in these issues. Uh, I I think these are very difficult times for liberty in in the world and in the United States in particular, which has been such a haven for libertarian ideas for so many decades, well, for so many you know centuries. Heaven's sakes, yes. You know, I, we're so polarized today. And of course, we're taping this show now in the middle of October of 2020, so it's before the election still, but it won't be broadcast until after the election. But we're so polarized today, and my view is that we've gotten this way one way from gerrymandering because the Democrat candidate, congressional candidate, doesn't care if you have a safe seat, you're a Republican in the seat next door, as long as I can have a safe seat so I can take radical positions. And another one is that the media, when they originally came out with with the cable TV or cable, cable television, I thought, wow, that'll be great. We'll all be exposed to hundreds of different messages, hundreds of different approaches. And boy, was I wrong that actually what happened is that a particular cable would find out what you believe and would cater to you. And now we see very little news. We see basically cheerleading for the Democrat or Republican candidates. So we're in a deplorable situation, I think, of the breakdown of professional journalism, honest reporting. Uh, do you agree? And if so, what can we do about it? I would agree generally with what you say. I, I don't think... Uh that it's all bleak because I think pre present technology is subject to uh, uh, evil uh, regulators and uh, evil forces who want to suppress us. But the present uh, technology lets us get our voice out uh, on the Internet uh, throughout the world. And it's never been easier. I was involved in a number of uh, little libertarian free market uh, publications uh, in the 1960s, 1970s. Uh, I was the head of a libertarian faction of the uh, Conservative Party in New York when I was in law school. And uh, it was much harder then to get uh, to publish. Reason Magazine, we were able to use the technology of the day when I was involved, 1970-71, in the early days that we were involved. And uh, right now, it's easier than ever to get your views out there. Uh, you have to develop an audience. So I, w I would take a contrary view. I don't think it's easy because you have to get the audience. But the means, I think, are there. And the, the success of Reason Magazine for over 50 years uh, is a uh, testimonial to the fact that there is a market for libertarian ideas and we have an ability to attract an audience. Well, that's, and that's true. I know that you have been, and Ken, this will be broadcast after the election. We don't know what the responses are yet, but you are substantially or are substantially involved in the No on Proposition 16 campaign here in California, which is basically to reintroduce, to bring back what is called affirmative action. Uh, tell us your views as to why bringing back affirmative action is not a good idea, because I certainly agree with you. All right. Let me. I would recharacterize that just a bit, and and to put it in a little historical framework, we in, in 1996, uh, I was very involved in a camp the campaign for Prop 209, and Prop 209 was called the California Civil Rights Initiative, and 
it was very simple, very short, but what Prop 209 did was uh, it, it passed by a good margin, and it's been the law in California since 1996. Prop 209 prohibited the use of, of discrimination or preferences based on race, ethnicity, or sex in government employment, government education, and government contracting. So it didn't actually ban affirmative action as such. Affirmative action is only banned if it's based on government preferences or discrimination that are founded on race, ethnicity, or sex. So, for example, there's still, uh, Prop 209 is still enforced in California as part of the state constitution, but affirmative action is practiced. You can uh, uh, give affirmative action and admission to the state state colleges and universities based on low income, uh, based on being the first student, uh, the first college student in your family to, to apply for college. Uh, there are a variety of elements Have that it. are allowed for affirmative action. So we're sure. not trying to bring back affirmative action. We are trying to continue the limitations on what we consider the the corrosive, the dangerous, the uh, the negative aspects of government regulation, which is for government to type people based on sex, ethnicity, or race. Yes, it's it's just going in the wrong way, a wrong on a one way street. But uh, you know, you can you can consider having overcome obstacles. Terrific! You're the first person in your family to get a high school degree or a college. You know, all of that is fine. But to document that into the law is a mistake, and and I think that uh, I'm certainly have voted against Proposition 16. It's just not the right way to go. Remember the Baki. The Baki decision as well, which was, I think, the University of California, and he, he was Caucasian and basically brought the lawsuit because you're discriminating against me. So you're not admitting me because I had better uh, scores and the rest than somebody that was, that was a, of different race. So it just it gets government involved in racial activity, which is a mistake. We're going we're gonna to come back in just a minute. This time flies when you have somebody as knowledgeable as Manny Klausner, Esquire. But we'll come back, and I'd like to get your views on school choice, Milton Friedman, uh, and the rest of this after we come back after these messages. Stay tuned, please. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today 
to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. We are Americans You are listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Welcome back after those messages from uh, the Libertarian Party and others. Uh, This is Judge Jim Gray. As you've heard, this is not bad advertising. Uh, This is All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And uh, I have, as I said earlier, a stalwart Libertarian, Manny Klausner, has had his hand in lots and lots of really good things. And we're going to continue to talk about them. But my wife has asked me to get involved in a little, at least, intentional silliness. So this is usually where I do it, requiring a mandatory chuckle, of course, from my guest. But... uh, you stand advised, Mr. Klausner. So someone I heard I'm forewarned. <laughs> someone I heard was saying, you know, I decided to stop calling the bathroom the John and renamed it in my household the Jim. So now I feel so much better saying that I went to the gym this morning. Where? Well, I'll uh, give you. I'm smiling. I don't know if I can give an audible. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take. I'll take what I can get. But uh, Manny, you know. We were talking about school choice, and off the air, we were talking about Milton Friedman, which is truly a hero, and uh, I I quote Friedman a great deal on lots of things. One of them, my favorite, is that we should judge our programs by the results, not their good intentions, and if we were to do that, that would do away with the minimum wage laws and rent control laws, which sound good. And politically, you know, they, they're a seller, but they just don't work. But one of them is school choice. And in fact, uh, I've given a great deal of money to, it's now called Ed Choice. It used to be the Milton Friedman Foundation and Rose. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell, tell us your views with regard to the state of education in our country today, both K through 12, as well as higher education, and how school choice, what school choice is and how it fits. Well, that's a, definitely a topic for our times, because uh, if there's any way that we're going to salvage a respect uh, for individual liberty in America, students, in, when they go to school, have to learn that they, what the difference is historically and philosophically between a system that recognizes personal liberty and one where the state is omnipotent. And the omnipotent state is what has been the characteristic role that the state has played throughout history and throughout modern history, if you look at all governments in the world. You mentioned uh, the minimum wage law. Minimum wage law is not only harmful, it's counterproductive, because minimum wage law, when people understand basic economics, they understand that every time the minimum wage law goes up, the people who are hurt the most are the unskilled, untrained uh, minorities, typically, who are less 
uh, able to get a job. And when the government says you have to pay more for somebody's starting job than it used to be, the chance that a low-income, not previously uh, experienced employee, a minority, the the chance they have to get a job is much tougher because they have to now ask for more, not less. And the way you get a job is you have to be able to take less to begin, get the experience, and then you move up and ask for more. But if if the government takes the first step in the ladder away by minimum wage laws, it's totally counterproductive. It's not complicated for people in the economics. The thing that I point to is McDonald's. You know, you used to go and buy your Big Mac. You'd look at a at a cashier, and they'd order. Now you go there; it's done by a computer because they've forced those people out of work. It's just it's just terribly counterproductive. Uh, School choice, you know, school is so important that you'll probably never reach your potential unless you get excellence in education, really K through six and, and, and before that as well as beyond. So explain to us, because we've talked about school choice. I've had actually Robert Enlow as a uh, guest on our show here on, on uh, uh, All Rise as well. He's now the, the executive director of the Friedman Foundation, otherwise known as Ed Choice. But give us your description of, of school choice Manny Klausner, and uh, how can we implement it? How are we doing so far? Well, I would uh, first uh, make a uh, preliminary comment. That is, I also was a a great fan of of Milton Friedman and his wife Rose, who was also a brilliant economist, and I'm a great supporter of school choice. That was Milton's highest priority, because Milton Friedman understood you can't get a system that works best for minorities and low-income people as we used to have in many, when immigrants came over to America in the early 1900s, there was no minimum wage laws, but they were able to get, people worked in sweatshops, including my mother who came from Poland uh, after the First World War. Uh, She had an experience where she worked in a sweatshop. My aunt uh, worked in one as well, but they didn't do it forever. They did it and they had income at the beginning and then they moved on from there. When the government uh, starts to ban the low-paid jobs or the the more difficult uh, kind of uh, working circumstances, they 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 usually are doing that because labor unions want that to ban lower-cost competitors, and that is the uh, the unfortunate aspect. Most people don't know who really are pushing for these laws and who the beneficiaries and who the victims. So school choice is one of those examples. The biggest opponent of school choice are the teachers' unions, and that is because they don't want the competition from they, – they, they, teachers' unions call, uh, call for higher salaries and higher benefits for teachers, but the, the quality of the product should be tested uh, in the market when consumers have a choice. And when these days, uh, the public school system and, and, and the public university system increasingly are teaching uh, only a philosophy of bigger government, bigger growth. They don't teach any alternative to that. It's hard. That that uh, reduces the opportunity for genuine reform. So I am fundamentally 
a proponent, a strong proponent of the school choice movement. I've been very involved in it over the years. I support Ed, Cho- Ed Choice uh, as a lawyer at uh, Reason Foundation and uh, as general counsel for the Individual Rights Foundation. I filed uh, briefs in favor of school choice and against government uh, intervention in education, among other things. And we've worked with uh, Milton Friedman's foundation at Choice in that regard. We've, we've uh, joined briefs uh, together with them to defend school choice. Well, so okay. this is a big struggle that's uh, one of my passions. Uh, I, I really uh, would, the, the Milton Friedman left the legacy that he opened many people's eyes, including my own, to a lot of issues. And uh, he's a name that all of your listeners should become more familiar with. Well, I should say it's one of those few circumstances, Manny, in which you have the suppliers of a product deciding what the customers will purchase. And that's the way Friedman addressed it. And he's right. You know, you should have the customers being able to choose what they're going to buy and affect their education. And so they would choose excellence. And we have places, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for example. And it's a little embarrassing to me when I was running for vice president as a libertarian. I found myself in 2012 in Milwaukee and was discussing school choice, and the audience started kind of wagging their fingers at me, saying, well, Judge Gray, we, we don't have bad schools anymore. We've had school choice now for about eight or ten years. All the bad schools have either gotten better or they've gone out of business, replaced by others. But Milton Friedman also says, you know, this is a love fest for, for Milton, but he said there are three ways of spending money. And the first way, you spend money on yourself, and if you do that, you'll pretty much get good deals on things that you need. The second way is you can spend other people's money on yourself, and there you'll get pretty good deals on things that you don't particularly need. And then the third way is you can spend other people's money on other people, and there you get the school districts. And uh, that's always resonated with me, and and I just think he's right, that in the public schools today, they're top-heavy with administration, and the better teachers realize, hey, that's where the money is, so the better teachers are, in effect, raised out of the school classrooms into into the administration, and uh, they're top, all the government schools are top-heavy administration because they don't have to compete. The private schools, the charter schools, are much lower with regard to the amount of administration, and they do have to compete. And the better teachers in the private sector get uh, better paid, but they don't. They get paid the same in the public sector. It's just really weighted. I, I think it's a critical issue. I think I've convinced you that it's a critical issue. I, I like the way you put it. I agree with everything you said. I'd just add a comment now, which we is, is apparently... Uh, uh, clear to more and more people, and that is uh, public schools do not educate, public schools indoctrinate. And the idea, what people come who go to public schools, a lot of them are being taught things that are the opposite of information that is real. They're taught in ideology, uh, and only part, they don't never taught the pros and cons. So, it's very rare. I, we will, let and I fear for all of our friends who are sending their kids to colleges now when they're, they're trying to find a school that's a good selection. Where should they go for, for four years if they want to be educated and, and come out learning something and, and advance their career? Where do you send them these days? Uh, in order to be educated when the schools are so biased, they're systematically uh, 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 removing. Uh, it's very difficult for libertarian conservative professors to get tenure at schools, and if they get them, there's a lot of classes they're not allowed to teach. This is a very, very critical issue now for America if we're going to preserve liberty. 
Boy, I, I fully agree. And uh, in fact, I heard recently, I, I wouldn't know what school to go to, uh, you know, the Heritage Foundation, something, but but uh, my University of California at Los Angeles, I'm a fellow Bruin, uh, I, what I hear is being taught there is horrifying in a lot of ways. It's not you're not teaching people to think independently. You're teaching them to accept what you tell them. And I'll go back. I've said this a couple of other times on All Rise, Manny, but one of my triumphs of parenting was I was driving my three children, then maybe four, seven, and seven years old, down a highway agrarian driving by a strawberry field and it was covered with plastic and to this day I really don't know why it's there I think to to keep the humidity up and stuff but I said oh look kids that's where they raise plastic oh really daddy oh really and I didn't say anything and about five miles down the road one of my sons said oh come on dad and I thought you know that's important that back when you're four and seven years old your daddy knows everything they should challenge even what I say and we're not training even our college students to challenge what they're hearing and they're, they're, it, it's just a terrible situation. So, King Klausner, what are we going to do about it? Well, I think we continue to fight the uh, struggle to change our institutions for the better. I think the Libertarian Party is a factor, the Libertarian Movement, the Reason Foundation, uh, Milton Friedman's Ed, Ed Choice Foundation, Institute for Justice. There are a lot of groups out there, and the Internet is our friend uh, because it's very easy when you know what to look for or you, it's not hard to find the track to see the, the institutions and the uh, uh, organizations that are really good, doing good things. I'll say the Students for Liberty now internationally is an outstanding group, uh, Cato Institute, Federal Society. You mentioned that in the introduction. I'll mention quickly, Federal Society is an organization of uh, basically conservative and libertarian lawyers, judges, and uh, law professors that has built a tremendous, has had tremendous impact uh, since it was founded in the 1980s. And I've been very involved in their free speech and election law practice group, the National Practice Group. But they have wonderful programs. And uh, all of your listeners should check out the website for Federalist Society and see the kind of activities they do both in Washington and uh, with their annual convention every year, uh, except for this year because of uh, COVID. Uh, but also their local chapters where there are very good programs and speakers that come in uh, and, uh, and, and people can learn a lot. You don't have to be a lawyer. One thing I'd like to say is uh, I'm head of a group called the Libertarian Law Council, and we do joint meetings, a lot of joint events with the Federal Society's L.A. Lawyers chapter, which I'm active in, and I'd like to say that the Libertarians in our in our uh, midst, the Libertarian Law Council, we don't believe in occupational licensure. We don't believe you have to be a licensed lawyer to come to our meetings. As long as you're interested in what we're saying and what we're what we're talking about, and we always have debates. We try to uh, give people both sides. I think that's much more effective to teach people w- w- without trying to. Uh, just ram something down people's throats. You really want people to understand. So we have a great uh, program. Now, I think the Federal Society has been one of the very effective organizations. People could look at the website, and I think they'll be impressed. Well, we had Scott Bullock, who was the executive director of Institute for Justice, here on interviewed on All Rise uh, on June the 7th of 2019, so it was quite a while ago. But you were one of the founding directors of the Institute for Justice. Uh, put in a pitch. Right. Uh, what what sure. is it Institute do for justice litigation? Is, My goodness. 
Yeah, Institute for Justice, one of the great organizations. It's a, founded by Chip Miller and Clint Bullock. Clint, Clint Bullock now has gone on to uh, become a uh, member of the Supreme Court of the Arizona Supreme Court, and Chip has retired recently. But Institute for Justice continues the battle that they originated, which is particularly to fight for school choice, to get rid of the uh, archaic restrictions and uh, regulations that prohibit uh, uh, private schools from from being able to flourish and get incidental tax aid for repair uh, things that other uh, schools get, and et cetera. Uh, but the, the uh, Institute for Justice works in the area of occupational licensure. If you see somebody who wants to uh, uh, do uh, hair uh, uh, hair braiding, uh, for this, this has been a, one of their in many areas that they've uh, achieved success in, because the the laws, uh, commercial hairdressers don't want competition from people who are licensed. They require licenses that are expensive, even for basic hair braiding. That doesn't take sure. very much, uh, in, you know, just you can be skilled at it, but you don't have to be licensed to do it. So I would urge your listeners to look at the website for Institute for Justice. You'll see the various activities that they're involved in. There are a number of areas they focus on. They've had extraordinary success in the courts because it's been a very intelligent, systematic approach to rolling back barriers to entry that prevent low-income people from developing their own occupational livelihood or being able to go to a a good school that competes with the government school system. Well, and indeed so. Or if you want to be a tour guide in New Orleans, so you have to have a government license. No, Institute for Justice took that to the Supreme Court and said, no, it's a matter of free speech. But let me me give a generalization that I believe to some degree, Manny Klausner. Uh, Democrats do not want people to thrive because if they start being successful, they will start voting Republican. So, you know, they say all of these things, you know, about we're going to help you and trust government and the rest, but they really don't want that to be because then you won't continue to vote for Democrats. And the Republicans, in a lot of ways, don't want you to thrive either because then you're going to go into competition with them. They're already successful. Uh, I know that's a simplification and not true, but libertarians, on the other hand, really want to set up a system so you can gain from your own productivity. You can gain from your efforts. You will have incentives to improve yourself and not at somebody else's expense. Uh, I know it's an exaggeration, but but I throw it out there anyway. Well, I would toss out, uh, I, I, I agree with uh, a lot of what you said, but I would think that within both parties, depending on which region of the country you live in, and whether it's local or what the, what the, uh, who, who's the, been a big influence there, there are within the Democratic Party and uh, Republican Party, some people who do believe in a free market, but it's getting increasingly hard to find them. Uh, but I don't uh, think that you know, there, there are a lot of uh, aspects. When Ronald Reagan was uh, president of the United States, he was, Ronald Reagan, as he said uh, when I interviewed him for Reason Magazine, he said that the heart and soul of conservatism is libertarianism. And that's been widely quoted by a lot of conservatives, and so I don't. And, and a lot of conservatives are in the Republican Party, as are a number of libertarians. So I don't think that it's just a matter of the party. I think it's a matter of what people know, what their understanding is of how you really uh, achieve the greatest welfare for individuals, and it's a commitment to free minds and. 
free market. And so I don't give up. Uh, I think the people in the Democratic and Republican Party, some of them know what they're doing, and they don't believe in liberty, but there are others that have been misled, misguided, or just not educated in what the benefits are of choice and competition. And this is Milton Friedman is one of those. I think everyone listening to this podcast should run out or go to YouTube and look at some of the programming by Milton Friedman, by Tom Sowell, by Walter Williams. There's a lot of stuff that you can find. You can be self-educated now just by going online as well as getting some of these good books out here. Tom Sowell is one of the greats. He's 90 years old, still working away. Uh, one of the uh, really, really great intellectuals of, of, uh, of all time. Uh, Walter Williams is another great. So, they're, they're all, they're so uh, people aren't... I want to encourage people to do what they're doing. Anyone who's smart enough to listen to your podcast is smart enough to know that there's a lot of good stuff available online that the government cannot suppress. Well, I spell Thomas Sowell, S-O-U-L. I know it's S-O-W-E-L-L, but he really is a bright guy. And uh, yeah, I will quote Milton yeah, Friedman incredible. again because uh, he said, and I believe it's true, that no people as a society have ever raised themselves up out of poverty except through the free market system and private property rights. And, and I think he's simply right. And then I'll go to John Stossel, who uh, Reason Magazine has lured him away from ABC News. Hooray. But he, he has a wonderful comment, which is when you get involved in a transaction, if I'm going to buy a washing machine from you, uh, you both end up with a double thank you moment that I, my money isn't worth as much to me as the washing machine. You have lots of washing machines, so my money is worth more than the washing machine. And so we're both happy. We're both pleased. And, and that's why you gain. You work for your own economic self-interest, and then you get into I pencil which is one of the best essays I've ever read by a guy by the name of Reed, by the way, my goodness. But uh, it just shows how everybody working for their own economic self-interest gets the job done. Have you read I Pencil? I'm assuming, Manny? Put that in. I not only read it, I've uh, had the pleasure of circulating it to uh, my uh, numerous people on my email list from time to time. It's a short essay that tells you how... The complex task, how difficult it is to make a pencil because there's so many uh, ingredients and, and uh, materials that are used to make pencil that are, have to be gotten from all over, the world, all over the world. No government would be smart enough to put it together in effect, but that, that, that's sort of a joke. But I know there's so much stuff on the Internet. I think that one of the – your podcast is an example of a tool to open people's eyes to alternatives and to further and to further get into a deeper, fuller understanding of the free market. But the free market economists and, and writers are there so many who are available readily? Uh, there's a great uh, film, uh, a one-hour film by Walter Williams that's available on his life and achievement, and with a, a number of people, including Willett and I, have a, a couple of bit appearances in there. Uh, that's very good. Walter Williams is a, uh, a, a good friend of Tom Sowell, two of the most profound, uh, brilliant black economists. Truly. Truly so. You know, I have contributed in my own way, and, and I've been doing this so uh, all rise 
show for a year and a half now, Manny. But I also, if you'd go to judgejimgray.com and click on my articles, I wrote what I call one man's libertarian white paper, which talks about who the winners and the losers would be in a libertarian society. And the winners would be children who are going to uh, have better health care, lower prices, better schooling. The losers, of course, are going to be the government bureaucrats and the uh, teachers unions and and things of that kind. But uh, I, I just... That, that's my contribution. You have contributed a great deal as well, and you're certainly right. I mean, Walter Williams, Thomas Sowell are just, are just brilliant. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I look for a time. I'm proud to say, you know who Larry Sharp is uh, from New York, and yes. he agreed when I ran for the nomination for president. Uh, he agreed to be my running mate, I was pleased to say. It, and I'm proud of this. It took me another two weeks before I actually realized, hey, he's black. You know, I didn't think about that. He's the best man for the job. And, uh, he's very impressive. Oh, by the way, very yeah, impressive. He's, he's black. He's a very good man. And, and Willette is black as well. It doesn't make any difference at all. I look forward to the time when this none of this makes any difference. And, and I'll end this diatribe because it's only becoming one. When I was in Costa Rica in the Peace Corps, uh, I was in a small town in Costa Rica, the smallest one that had a high school. And they were, without getting involved in anything, they were just... They were honest. So if you were black, they'd call you, hey, Negro. And if you're a little on the mm-hmm. heavy side, hey, Gordo. They called me, hey, mm-hmm. Flacco back then, which meant thin one day. Nobody would call me Flacco now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, Chino. I mean, it was guileless. It's just, it was accurate. So I look for the time when we can recognize each other as human beings. Children will play, of all races, will play with each other uh, until it, their adults teach them not to. But what's, what is your sense of the future? We just have a, a minute or two left, Manny Klausner. What's your sense of the future as our country in the next 10 years? Are you optimistic? I think these are very scary times because uh, the media is controlled by people who don't take liberty seriously and the press. Uh, the, uh, these are very difficult times. The good news is that there are existing vehicles uh, that are readily available for people who want to learn more about free market ideas in a systematic way uh, by going to the videos online or buying the books that are readily available. And more more, uh, significantly than that, tell their kids or their friends who have kids who are going to school what to aim for. Hillsdale College in Michigan is one of the few that really is old style. Larry Arnn is the president of the school, and I worked with him at the Prop 209 campaign in the mid-1990s in California. But there's a school that's doing very good. So I think education is the key, and we still have that. Well, we do, and we certainly have that. We are still becoming America, Manny Klausner. We're not there yet. We're in better shape in a lot of ways than we were before. It's up to us. And Manny, you've been a, a stalwart, like I say. I'm in your debt. We are in your debt. You're a true patriot. You're a true good man fighting for the right things. And thank you for being joining with us, sharing your thoughts on All Rise. Give my best to Willette. Uh, tell her I'm going to call her and see if she can help uh, get my musical staged. But, but uh, it's I, just I life will is- alert Willette. <laughs> I thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks, thanks yeah. very much, Jim. I've been an admirer of yours for years, and I'm just delighted for this opportunity. Well, thank you. And to all of our, our world out there and our All Rise family, I end this segment by saying, as I always do, life is good. Why? Because it truly is. Enjoy. 
Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bones that help us control. We are Americans all.